Welcome to the Going to Killing City podcast, a historical look at murder in Kansas City. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Alex Greenwood. Everybody, welcome back. Going to Killing City podcast episode three. We're back at in the green room. It's so yeah, nice to be I, back here, is it? Right? I love I, lo- I love it. You know, I, I had fun being with you here or there at the Green Chavine, but I, I like getting out of the house and and going to, to your place, which actually is like, to me, it's more, my place is more like this faux, tacky, very meta tiki bar look, Where whereas you've got just, you're like the rock and roll hall of fame, man, all these guitars and 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 all this musical gear. It's it's fantastic. I love it, man. It is my happy place. You know, I can oh, go down there, play guitar, piano, mostly guitar, a little bit of piano, uh, watch sports, listen, all my vinyls down here. I mean, it oh, is... Yeah. I could be. I love your years. your your Insta because you're always like playing some. You're spinning some great vinyl on your Insta all the time. I love Absolutely. it. It's great. Now I'm, playing, man. I've yeah, got, I love it. I got all mine, and I got all my dad's stuff. So that's very great. Anyway, so let's talk cocktail, Alex. What? What do you? So the the hint was 1989, late at night. Once again, for people join us for the first time, we do a killer cocktail. The person that tells the story only gives a hint to the other person. And then we have this cocktail, and and then we go. So, so what did you come up with? I'm I'm dying to hear. Well, okay. The the hint was, uh, as you said, it was uh, uh, what did you say? Middle of the night, nineteen eighty nine, late at night, late at night. Well, I, 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 I went immediately to the Collins glass section, and I thought about a drink called the Nightcap, and uh, it is so simple to make. It's gold rum. Uh, cold brew coffee, and I'm not a big cold coffee guy, but trust me, this works. A little maple syrup, some Angostura aromatic bitters, and some Thomas Henry tonic water is, is recommended. But you know what? I use Schweppes or I'll use uh, Flame uh, Fever Tree or whatever. You, you shake all the, uh, the, those first four ingredients with ice, you, you put it in a nice filled glass, you top it with tonic water, and you put a little orange zest twist. It'll cure what ails you in the middle of the night. I love it. It's yummy. I'm I'm drinking a little right now. It's it's high. What do you yummy. think? It, do you I think like it. The, I, I, it. It's not your typical, is it? You wouldn't typically drink something like this. Well, I I drink rum occasionally, but I'd never thought. You know, I've had some coffee. You know, Irish coffee, right? But I've right, never had a right. coffee and rum drink before. But uh, it worked. The maple syrup is nice, right? Kind of just gives it a little. Because I I think because the even cold because cold coffee. I mean, despite what all these. The kids drink from Starbucks, the cold coffee. It's if it's just a cold brew coffee, it's not necessarily sweet. So it, the maple syrup kind of offsets the bitterness that might come with that, depending on the cold brew you use. I, again, I don't do a lot of it. And usually I'm an old man. I don't usually drink anything with caffeine after two o'clock. But I figured if it's if we're, if it's after, you know, if it's in the evening like this, what we're talking about here, I better better prime myself with some caffeine. Absolutely. And to your point in my story, somebody's going to get capped at night. So, magnifique! You you nailed it. So. You see, now they we call each other's the others evil twin, and it's because we we are, have a lot in common. But I think there's also a bit of a psychic connection there. So I'm glad That's that right. one worked. Absolutely, yeah, I, I'm excited. I can't wait to hear more. I'm going to continue oh, to sip on this thing while you spin. It's so your much tail. just for people at home. It's so much easier to be the person who just gets to sit and drink and have the little witty comebacks. It's it's a hell of a lot of work when it's your week, right? Or your month. It really this, so. it, it really is. But you know what? It it pays off though because you get a tasty drink at least. That's right. All right. So 34 years ago this very summer 1989 
in Kansas City. Kansas City was shocked by one of the most brutal murders in recent history for Kansas City. A prominent attorney was murdered late at night at his office downtown at 1111 Grand. But before we get to all that, Alex, let's set the scene because you and I, we graduated from high school in the 80s. So let's have a little nostalgia. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. You want to know how much different Kansas City was in 1989, Alex? Lay it on me. The Royals were good. <laughs> oh, George Brett. <laughs> and Bo Jackson. The Royals won 92 games in 1989. This is the season. And the only reason I put this fact in here, because I know we're both going to do our impersonation because we're both idiots and dorks, but we have a good time. 1989 was the year that Bo Jackson hit the home run in the All-Star game when Reagan was in with Vince Scully at the All-Star game because Reagan had just left office. And that's when Vince Scully goes, and Bo Jackson says, hello, right? And then Reagan's like, well, Bo knows how to hit him. So, all right, you do your bad, Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go again. I can't do a Reagan. I'm terrible. Well, I'm, there I he goes. I could do a Clinton, uh, but I'm not. I'm not ready. But oh my god, I didn't. You know what? Honestly, I didn't remember. I didn't. You see, I didn't remember that. But I wasn't a big baseball fan because I wasn't from that time. I was in Oklahoma, and we 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 really didn't have uh, we didn't have a major league team. So I didn't. I played baseball as a kid, but I didn't know that. So Bo Jackson was here doing that number. Right. Thirty-two you know, home I, runs that year, Alex, and he had 105 RBI. That's back. He was great. He's the greatest athlete I've ever seen in person. He, he well, I. He's he's pretty good, although I've seen a really good athlete on the Chiefs field myself, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just say it. Who would um, that be, Alex? He's, I don't a, know he's a damn good about. baseball player, too. <laughs> but but I was gonna tell you, so speaking of the Royals, now now listen, I'm not saying this was anybody, but I'm telling you something. I was coming uh, I was in independence, okay. And I was coming back from St. Louis. I had a speaking gig in St. Louis a few weeks ago. I was on my way back. And I wanted to stop at the Duluth Trading uh, Store or whatever they built out there just to look around. I'd heard about it. And it's, I don't know. I wanted to see it. So I was trying to, you know how you're trying to get off 70 and you're trying to peel off and get off there. It's a really, I won't describe it. It's it's very, you're, you're trying to get off and people are trying to merge with traffic at the same time. It's really not safe. Okay. It's bad. So I'm, I have the right of way though, and I have my blinker on, and I'm trying to merge over to make the exit. There should be a a yield sign. All of a sudden, like a silver uh, convertible Corvette, just need as you please, just paces me the whole way. I'm like, I'm running out. I've got like, I'm getting to the point where I have about 50 yards left. I'm going, you know, 55, 60. He's just going because he's going to merge onto the highway and. Get out of my way. And I look over and I see this guy and some middle-aged dude, you know, or more cruising through. And I'm like, you son of a, I'm trying, you know, it could have been a bad wreck. And then what do I see in the license plate? It says Brett won. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying uh, it was George, but I'm just saying it was something. It was you think it was George? Yeah. I had another run in with that gentleman um, when well, I, we I was dating my wife. I was dating my wife. Uh, this was gosh, 20 years ago. And we went to the movies. Do you remember the movie theater um, at the Plaza? Is it still mm -hmm. there? No, okay. they tore it down. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, we went to this. I forget the movie, whatever. But we were on a date. And the movie started. We were enjoying the movie. And about, you know, 10 minutes into the movie, um, a rather loud trio comes in, sits behind us, kicks our seats repeatedly, won't be quiet, seems very uh, happy. And I, I look over my shoulder and I said, 
that guy kind of looks like uh, uh, the 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 pine tar guy. And and my wife looks over her shoulder and goes, "Oh my god, it's it's George Brad." And I was like, "He he needs to shut up during the movie." <laughs> he looked like they were having a good time. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know, you win a World Series in a town that doesn't get yeah. many of those you're kind of giving yeah. carte blanche like i kind of he can do whatever he wants yeah what can you yeah. same thing with mahomes what can he do that's going to get him in trouble i'm thinking not much yeah and he, you know he by the way he just sold his house and did, he did. you hear that yeah no he's not far he's... from you that house is it no he got tired of people stalking him i'm guessing probably poor bastard because wasn't it right on the it was right on the thoroughfare right i mean yep. it, it, in retrospect not the best place nope. to buy a house nope he didn't right. know no who's he thought he was good. Uh, okay. So, well, so, sorry Chiefs about the. No, you're fine. This is what it's supposed to be fun and back and forth. A Chief Super fan, 1989. Who was the starting quarterback of, of your Kansas City Kansas Chiefs? Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, okay. Wait, okay, wait, I, I have wait, an audio. Elvis Gerbach. Good guess, but no. No? Oh. It's first year of Marty with Carl Peterson. Second hint. I, 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 you bloke up a little bit the first hint. What was that hint? It was the first year of Marty Schottenheimer and Carl Peterson's administration of the Chiefs. Okay, so it's Marty Ball time. It's Marty Ball. Oh, but it was the first year, so it wasn't Joe Montana. Nope. 89. This is oh. tough. Dude, you know what? I, 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 I'm, I'm, I think I made a good guess. Uh, you made a great uh, guess. Did you give up? I'm going to kick myself. I just can't quite pin it down. The totally forgettable, clearly, Steve DeBerg. Oh, shoot. I would never have got that. He, <laughs> did he even last the season? I don't know. But they won eight They won eight games that year, which is the first winning season for the Chief in the number. Marty, Marty made him much better. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, and God bless him. You know, he had his end of his life was he, he had the illness, the Alzheimer's, I believe. Yep, uh, Marty, and uh, but he we just did we just lose him? We did, yeah, yeah, um, but, like a year ago, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, he he kind of gave Chiefs respectability there for a while at least, and then Joe Montana. I mean, it was the what was the AFC championship game they lost against it, Buffalo, right? yeah, um, against Buffalo, Ugh. and then of course with Jim Kelly, right? Yep, and then, of course they never won, no, nope. they still haven't. Nope, yeah, sure so haven't. go get your shine box, Josh Allen. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Sorry. All right. My last 1989 Kansas City factoid, because I find this fun. So in October of 1989, the Rolling Stones had their farewell tour for Steel Wheels. Steel Wheels, right. You're not the only one. You're right. Uh, the opening act, The Fabulous Living Color. And, and See, that right there, man. And, and, and the audience that day in Arrowhead Stadium, a, a very young, very dark-haired Jamie Green. I was there. It was lovely. It was wonderful. Yeah, I bet you looked a lot like your your eldest son. Pretty uh, much the same. Now, yeah. yeah, you too. By the way, you too. Oh my God, are you related? Yes, of course. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh my crazy. God. So, so you saw? Gosh, you saw Living Color, man. I saw them wow. a couple of years ago uh, too. They're phenomenal. If you get a chance to see Living Color, go see Living Color. Uh, yeah. You know, and I'm I'm fine with the Stones. I'm not one of those people who like because I'm a bigger Beatles fan. I hate on. I'm fine with the Stones, yeah. and I like yeah. several other tunes. I, in my humble opinion, I felt Living Color was the better band that day. But well, that's, that's I've me. heard this 
I've heard this too, that some people feel the stones or the stones and they know it and they don't mean to give you a bad show, but it's just, they've been doing this for over 50 years. So, you know, 60 years almost, right? All right. 50 years. So it's 1989 Kansas City. I came here yep. often also because I was 21 and could drink in the bars. And But that's a whole other story that we won't get into today. But for our story, yeah, it's an attorney named Donald Pierce, a Kansas City native, who just five years before that, he hired a 28-year-old woman named Linda Culbertson to be his legal secretary. Now, Pierce was a Kansas City native, as I said, a literal Eagle Scout who played basketball and football in high school. He then went on to Mizzou to earn a degree in military science. He spent a year in the U.S. Army as a commissioned officer, and then the next six years in the Army Reserve as a captain. Then after the military, he goes to law school back at Missouri in Columbia, starts practicing law. Three years later, he branches off and starts his own law firm. In 1979, Pierce marries Kathy Evans. She would go on to be a vice president of Sprint, which no longer exists. It's T-Mobile, but Sprint was a big deal in Kansas City. His friends described him as a loving a family man, great friend, just a all-around good guy. Now, Linda Culbertson was recently divorced with small children. She took the job and kind of went all in. Super hard worker, tons of energy and enthusiasm. It starts out well, so well, in fact, that Pierce makes her his office manager. Hmm. Then it starts to go a little wackadoodle, a little crazy. Are you Ooh. are you ready? I'm ready, man. Okay, so according to her co-workers at the time, she developed, and I'd never heard of this term before, Alex, but apparently erotomania, which is a delusional obsessive love for somebody that's not requited. You know? It's an, um, so she's in love with Don Pierce. In later interviews, Linda would claim that Don and her were having a secret love affair, but those accounts were dismissed by almost everyone, including later the judge that tries her in a murder trial. Now, in an interesting sidebar, when I did all this research, literally the day after she was arrested in the Kansas City Star, the sister of Don Pierce wrote a letter to the Kansas City Star decrying Channel 5, which is our CBS affiliate, of coverage of the murder because they had had a person, you know, where they do the the shadow, where they put the light yeah. behind the person, you can't see him. Sure. This person, literally the, the week of the murder, is claiming that they're having an affair. But that's the only person, and she would not, this person would not go on camera. Yeah. Hmm. So this is like this crazy and every everything. So people who are going to do like, this is interesting. I'm going to Google this myself. Every kind of thing you can get with a fatal attraction theme, people are talking about it this way. Although I don't know if that's apropos because almost everyone did not think they were having an affair. She was just nuts. Okay. So she's not happy about that Don doesn't love her how she loves Don. So... Don's car gets vandalized. Then his wife's car gets vandalized. Then his office Mm. gets vandalized. All right. So now we're into October of 1988. On October 18th of that year, Linda claims she's at the office all alone, working late. She also claims that she received several phone calls late that night where the caller would hang up the second that she answers the phone. Then she states she hears loud noises and thought someone had broken into the office. Mm. Okay. This is where it gets weird, like really weird. And why one of the reasons why I picked this episode, just to see your reaction as I tell you this. The very next day, an attorney who worked there arrives. He was not surprised, and he was very surprised, I'm sorry, to see that Linda was not there already because she apparently also was a workaholic. He goes, uh, looks through the office. He finds her in a closet where she states she's too scared to leave. She claimed the office had been broken into and trash, which he could see that it had been trash. 
And she also said a bunch of office equipment had been stolen. Oh. Now, to sell that she was so scared she wouldn't leave the office, she may have left the number one and number two in that closet. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> She's all in on the Craig okay. trade, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. You got me there. Yep. Wrapped up like a deuce in the middle of the night. All right. Um. So Pierce apparently is on vacation when all the, sh the shit train comes into town. He's pretty pissed off, but he has to cut his vacation short and return to the law firm. He then hires a security firm to, you know, be there in the evenings at his law firm. That security firm hires a gentleman named Everson Jacobs. We're going to hear a little more about him in a moment. And it's a horrible irony. According to reports in the Kansas City Star after the murder, Culbertson and Pierce had a quote-unquote love-hate relationship. There hmm. was a bunch of shouting between the two. Apparently, Linda liked to cry a lot in the office. There was a guy that hmm. was quoted in the Kansas City Star that did like um, office supplies. He said like 75% of the time he'd show up, she'd be in tears. So, according to an attorney, Robert Lang, who worked there, he quit the firm one month before the murder. He said that Culberson, quote, thrived on having the office in turmoil. And an attorney who did not want to be identified said, quote, the office just kept coming, the, easy for me to say, Jesus Christ, the office just kept getting more and more bizarre. It really wasn't an office anymore. It became a soap opera. Here we go. So Linda decides to start a friendship with this Everson Jacobs. Jacobs was just 21 years old at the time. Culbertson told Jacobs that she and Pierce were having an affair and that Pierce was abusive. Jacobs told investigators later that he believed all of it because he heard Culberson and Pierce arguing at night with fights that sounded like, quote, husband and wife fights. Oh. So on the evening of June 7th, 1989, around 10 p.m., police received a frantic 911 call from a woman who was screaming at the top of her lungs. I will put in the show notes, there's actually, you can hear the recording of this. It's to the point that the guy, I'm sure, is like whoever took the 911 calls holding his ear you know, close. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> like that. It's horrible. The uh, the caller on the phone identifies the address at 1111 Grand, which is the offices on the third floor of Pearson Associates. Upon their arrival at the offices, they can still hear this woman screaming outside, like on the street. She's that fucking loud, man. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So they slowly and very carefully walk up. They go inside the building. They ascertain there's nothing on the first floor. As they get to the second floor, they can hear the sound of an elevator door trying to close over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah. Then they get up to the third floor where the offices are. They see blood all on the floor on the way to the elevator. Like a and, like a like a trail like like yep. like drips or like a, like something that dragged. Like a, a trail of blood where he had drug himself to the oh, elevator. Oh wow. His attache case was stuck in the elevator door. That's what the door of the elevator was trying to close. Attache case would hit, and then it would reopen over and over again. This poor guy, he's inside. He's dead. Uh, he was shot a total of three times. First time in the knee. Second time in the chest. Third time, a point-blank range with a sawed-off shotgun. Did I mention that? Oh. In, his, in his right eye. Oh, God. Really? Yep. yep. Oh. So, the police... Oh, my God. 
How awful. They seal the building off, which is standard procedure, and they begin searching floor by floor for evidence. They find a crazed, that was the description, apropos, I think, Linda Culbertson, who is so nutty and babbling, like incoherent babbling, that they have to physically carry her out of the building. Up on the sixth floor, they discover that security guard, Evison Jacobs, that we just talked about, he's tied up and gagged. They also find a sawed-off shotgun wrapped in um, like uh, like cloth and a closet in the in the office law offices. Okay, they, they believe it could be the murder weapon because they found some shotgun casings in that elevator we just talked about. All right, this is not you know remember how last episode he was smart and he could evade capture for a while, right? Oh, uh, Berdella, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have this issue in this case. This is going to go a lot. <laughs> it's going to go a lot quicker. So back at police headquarters, which is as if anybody knows Kansas City is downtown, it's probably about three blocks from where these hmm. murders happen. Yeah, they start questioning Linda Culperson, and they start getting various stories. Her first story, the initial story, is that she heard from her office a man shout at Donald, and then heard gunfire. When she was asked, why is there a gun in your office? Because they found a second shotgun in the office. She stated it was due, it was needed because of earlier break-ins. She Uh also just casually mentioned in all this, oh, by the way, I was having a relationship with Donald and he was sexually abusing me, which makes them kind of like, what? Uh So they're skeptical of the story. So they start pressing on her, right? Kind of, you know, giving her a hard time about it. So she changes her story. Now she's saying she's just covering for the actual murderer, her friend, Evison Jacobs. Linda tells investigators Evison had found out that Pierce was using racist slurs, and that's why he killed him. At this point, Linda also states that Jacobs had hired another man to help with the killing, a 19-year-old named Quincy Brown. Now, no, I'm sorry. Was Evison like a minority? Is that what we're talking about here? The the slurs. Did you did you say that? I apologize. No, that's fine. Yeah, so uh, just for people, um, Donald Pierce was white. Linda okay. Culbertson was white. But white. Everson okay. Jacobs, who is the security guard who was tied up, uh, and Quincy Brown are African-American. Okay, okay, thank you. So so okay. how I read this, Alex, was the second that she could try to, you know, throw blame another way, she makes she, up this cockamamie yeah. story that, you know, this guy's a racist, and that's why, so... They uh, had not even heard of Quincy Brown, had no idea that there was this third person there until she just said it. So she totally screwed this guy over, like, you know. Oh, wow. So KCPD goes and brings in Evison again and Quincy Brown in for questioning the next morning. This is less than 12 hours after the murder. Almost immediately, Evison confesses that he and Quincy were hired to kill Donald Pierce. And the person that hired them was, you guessed it, Linda Culbertson. Linda Culbertson, yeah. She had offered them money, a job, and a Corvette if he <laughs> killed Pierce. Yeah. Wait, did it have a license plate that's... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it all comes back around, doesn't it? That's, what it, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so, this Evans and Jacobs guy is like, oh, I'll just bring in a buddy to help me do it, or to do it. So he hires this brown cat who's 19, by the way. Like, really, these guys are young. Oh, oh, man. 
So according to Evanson, that spring of 1989, Linda in the evenings just asked numerous times if he knew anybody that would kill Donald Pierce for her. Like multiple, multiple times. So the night of the murder, Jacobs was tied up by Culbertson and Brown to make it appear that there was another break-in and that he had been overwhelmed by these supposed thieves. Well, they didn't steal anything. So that was a huge red flare for the Casey uh, Police Department. Now, here's where it gets really where your gut's going to be like, oh, my God. So according to court testimony, Brown had shot Pierce twice, first in the knee. So Pierce is going down the hallway trying to get away. Second time, he hits him in the chest with a shotgun. A horrible moment. Pierce cries out in pain and asks Linda Culbertson for help. He still doesn't know that she's behind this. She th- he thinks that she's going to help him. Oh, so he's oh, so he's like Linda, Linda. Oh my God, help me! And oh, geez, can you imagine? Okay, go ahead, go go. No, it's go, terrible. Sorry. It's just terrible. So at this point, for lack of a better term, uh, Quincy Brown gets cold feet. Like he can't do it. He can't m- kill this guy. Like it's he could shoot him, but now that it's this dire, he can't do it. So. Linda Culbertson says to Quincy Brown, we have to kill him because otherwise we're going to be in a lot of trouble. She takes the shotgun out of Quincy Brown's hand, points it and shoots poor Donald Pierce point blank range in the right eye in the shotgun in that elevator. So a stone cold killer, you know? Can you imagine those last moments for this guy? Abject terror. And then to, to realize he's being set up by this horrible woman who he thought at least he could somewhat trust. Yeah. And the fact that the oh. one guy that's in it is the security firm that he yeah, hired security to pay for his own money. Oh. It's terrible. Um, this case went very quickly. Uh, she was arrested within 24 hours. She was still wearing the same outfit that they found her when she was having her wackadoodle moment. She hadn't even had a chance to change her clothes when she was brought in and arrested. Wow. Whoa. So all three were convicted. Uh, and that stolen office equipment, remember we talked about that, that she claimed that there was still on. Turns out it was just another office in the building that she had the keys for. Uh, so oh. she, made, she made that shit up. Of course. Of course. All the shit up. Um, if you really want to be both horrified and amused, you can look up her current uh, picture. Her mugshot is up where she's smiling at the camera. I mean, this is she's been in prison now for 35 years. Like she's getting her, you know, employee badge picture. Um, so she's great. she's still so is she around here? Or, she's or? up in Chillicothe. Oh, uh, Brown cut a deal. Now, this is interesting. We should talk oh. about this a little bit. So okay. even though he's the one that shot twice and Jacobs never pulled the trigger, but he was, you know, for lack of a better term, the, the you know, brains behind the, the thing. Because kind of the, it, at least a co-conspirator, really, right? right. A full-blown conspirator, right? Okay, um, okay. Brown cuts a deal. He got out of prison hmm, three or four years ago. It hasn't been that. So he served over 20 years. But both Jacobs... And Culbertson are still in prison in Missouri. Now, one part of this, and you can read all this, we'll put in the show notes for people can stuff. Um, his defense, Jacobs, was that he was, and I, I use this term as an actual medical term, not to be deliver stuff, that he was mentally retarded, that his okay. IQ was so low that she manipulated him um, and he had no idea. Uh, and apparently when they tested him, he was only one or two points above that level. So he still got 
life in prison without hmm. any quarrel. And there was also, there's some chatter, as you would imagine, when this happened, um, some columnist at the star that I didn't recognize, he was probably gone before I got here, um, talking about how this guy, you know, is up with her life in prison and she didn't even, you know, she did not get the death penalty. And, and is that a, a race issue? So there's a lot going on here, but that's one of those things that I had no idea. I'd never heard about this murder. Yeah. Um, I started doing some digging. There are these terrible oxygen channel. Do you ever see that? Oh God. Yeah. They have, so a, they have an episode about this and it's terrible. Um, oh, and she's interviewed in one of these Alex and she looks fucking crazy. In the- <laughs> Wait, they interviewed uh, Culberson. Yeah. They went. So they went to. They Tilly found Chauncey some. And... They found some. What well, she was, you know, before she got convicted. Early on, like this is still like 1989. There was some footage of her before she went away to prison, where she was. Um, but a lot of coworkers were, and all the K, tons of KCPD guys came out. In fact, um, one of the police officers said something. Stuff is like, you you finally think that you've seen it all, you've done this job long enough, um, but he was this was one this one shocked him he was surprised by this he was horrified by this um so so that's that this is kind of this is the 1980 linda culbertson uh murder the, the only thing else i will say you know how we've had these weird like where these locations are so episode one is now a uh high-end apartment where john lazia met his end we talked about the second episode that that location on charlotte has now got a garage on it and kind of an empty field um, Alex, have you ever been to the Ambassador Hotel in downtown Kansas City? Well, yeah, actually. It's now the, uh, it's it's not the, oh, is that right? So when I'm doing all this research, you know, because, you know, like I want to get out. So I get all the star articles and you start with that. And then you start looking at some YouTube clips and you start reading, you know, there's a ton of crime blogs. Right. And on one of these YouTube clips, somebody just casually mentions, oh, yeah, I was in the Ambassador Hotel having a drink at the bar, and the bartender told me this story. And I was like, does the Ambassador Hotel want people knowing that there was a brutal murder in their building? Well, I'm guessing that this is not a sanctioned thing by the owners, but maybe. You know, but isn't isn't that kind of like the conceit for this very show where it's like, it's you know, if it's ours, our conceit is that it's got to be at least 30 years ago we don't talk about recent stuff obviously to um and we try very hard not to overly sensationalize any of it right. but i don't know but a hotel because the, uh, how many ghosts uh tours and and you know that stuff i mean what do you think i'm I, i'm a marketer i mean i can see where they might actually not be you know worried about that I, i'd be okay if i having a drink there i don't know if i want to stay there that night then i don't know would you be all right do, with that um well and it's not a ghost thing. It's just a creep factor. It's, it's interesting because, and I'm going to ask you about this. Uh, I'm interviewing uh, George Stevens Jr. again on my my other my other podcast, Mysterious Goings On, and his offices um, that he was in. I'm trying to remember exactly where. Sorry, he was he's guy founded the AFI, American Film Institute, and they anyway the offices where they first set up a murder suicide happened. And it was a bedroom, and it became his office. I'm dying to ask him. Pardon the pun. Apparently, you had no problem making that your office. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, my house, when I first, first house I bought, we bought here uh, together. My first house it was, it's now over a hundred years old, just a little bit over. Um, 
you got to wonder what happens in, in these walls. So I don't know. I mean, you don't strike me as being superstitious that much or or you, you, do you even believe in ghosts and stuff? Or are you just like in just general principle? I just don't want to be around where somebody got their it brains. Excuse me. Out. I just when I go to a hotel room, I just want to relax. I don't want to think about this poor bastard. And I mean, and we talked about this earlier on, too. It's like we'll make fun of the murderers. Like I have no problem yeah. with the murderers and her. I always feel sorry for these people. And this is just one of these things like you have to question yourself. If he doesn't hire her, is he with us today? You know, right? And I'll, and one of the reasons why I also picked this, and and I know the vast majority of murders are committed by men, but we have some female murderers, and this is one. Of, and she was, I mean, you talk about she took her time, she propped these guys up, and she fed these guys information over a time and enticed them, and and you know, this was not a this was not a, a crime of passion. This was very cold and very calculated. And the thing that I found the most chilling by far is the fact that she just took the gun right out of the guy's hand. It's like, I'll do it. No trepidation, no problem, no nothing. Um, for a guy that she'd worked with for five years, I just, I, that just absolutely astounding to me. But, but so, but they never made a connection between Linda and Pierce, right? That, that nothing ever happened as far as they could determine, right? No. They just think, you know, Jake was brought in his buddy. He was 19 and wanted some money. And and that was it. But yeah, that's why, you know, Jacobs and both uh, Culbertson are still there in prison all these years, decades later. Um, it It is it, a crazy thing. Like I said, uh, the family has said from day one that no, Donald Pierce was not having an affair. Um, it's interesting when you read the headline, some papers just take it as it did happen. The only person that... Um, said it did happen was Linda Culbertson. Um, Don's widow, uh, Don's friends, Don's parents were interviewed. All said absolutely not. Um, and she clearly has a real ease at lying since she's lied about everything else. So um, that's why I think the fatal attraction thing to me seems a little lazy. I could see yeah. on, the, on the surface why you'd think because, that. Yeah. It's to uh, me, it's more interesting to me is like what made her snap so much that she well, got, to, and you know, she was an idiot. She, her, the receipts for the, the gun casings, the, the, the shotgun shells, they found that in her house. Like, I mean, she was toast right off the bat. It, uh, and I sincerely i've i have been the object of a somewhat obsessive um relationship um i've been stalked and i can i've i it's weird because what was it called again the the condition auto oh, hang on uh, a second i have it written down uh, it's erotomania. i know you do i erotomania erotomania um and it was just the creepiest thing because I did at one point with this person, this was a long time ago, felt like we would joke. So I, I just feel like I, she's going to boil my rabbit, you know, mm -hmm. um, because she was just that weird, um, this this person. And uh, from what I understand, she didn't get much better after I finally escaped from her clutches. So I, I've seen that type of thing. But what gets me is uh, how you, the E-Day fix, the, 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 this guy Pierce became her fixation. And if she couldn't have him, I mean, Nobody. she could turn the poor guy's face into hamburger. And it's just, it's just horrible, you know? And I, I don't know. It's just, it's just very interesting.
Now, now you've got me. I hate to say it, but now I'm going to go like dig into this one. I want to learn more about this. This well, because it's I fascinating, right? Picture. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I will put that in the show notes. You could. I will put in the show notes where you can link and see the picture because you're like oh, Na- Nana's off a rock. I mean, that's what it kind of looks like. But uh, <laughs> it's not just this stuff. Rock. She fucking. She's a murderer. She just. I. You know, you cannot. We can have this discussion. I. I. You know, somebody messes with my kid, right? I. You know, I'm going to kill that person. And you say that right. stuff, but to, to somebody to actually look them in the face and to pull the trigger and just blow them to bits. Um. That's cold, man. That is cold. I mean, I mean even the, this Quincy the, Brown the thing, cat, he got cold feet, and he's like, I can't do this. And she didn't have well, any the, problem. The, the, the most chilling thing for me is that I have enough imagination to imagine him dragging himself to this elevator, and then he thinks she can help him. Mm-hmm. Or, the, as you said, it reminded me, the security guard. And it turns out, no, no, no sorry, my friend, we're, we're taking you out. And that's just horrific. That is just, I mean, what went through his... Yeah, you know what I mean. Just I'm always been a little fixated on last moments of people, particularly in times of extremis. Um, it was not a peaceful death in his bed, surrounded by loved ones. Let's just put it that way. And that just that's what creeps me the f out. That really does. Because he's still, I think he was 39, and you and I are in our 50s now. 39 seems really young. He was 39. 39 years old. And he was former military guy, accomplished attorney, literal family boy man. Scout. He had kids. No kids. He and his wife didn't oh, okay. have kids. Now she has three kids. Since um, then, she had three kids. Oh no, he was divorced. Wait, Col- and had Culbertson. Culbertson. Okay, the murderer. Okay. So his wow. her uh, ex husband had to take over when she got. Anyway, so that that's it. Like this is one wow. I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. It, it's crazy. Uh, it's something that's happened in our lifetime. I was certainly in Kansas City quite a bit that summer, uh, but the first I heard of it. So uh, I will uh, let everybody in the show notes. So that that's going to do it for this time. Uh, it's it's on you next time. What do you got uh, for my hint? All right, you want your hint? All right, um, here we go. You're, here we go. Okay, so usually what we do with these hints is we give you a year or at least a a, a range, right? And and then the hint, right? So you know, okay, so. Here we go. Your hint is, and folks listening at home, remember, we, we're back every month, so you have time to think about this, too. Maybe you'll guess right. 1960 is the year. Diary of a Mad Housewife. I like it. Did, uh, did Betty Draper have a drink? I think I need to have a Betty Draper <laughs> drink, right? <laughs> Could be, my friend. Could be. All right. Until next time. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back in yep. one month. And uh, as I always say, Alex, mom loves, loves me best. I know. It's true. <laughs> Bye, people. Bye.